Welcome to BIV Today. We're the daily business news podcast from the Business of Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. The high cost of internet and mobile services is hitting low-income earners particularly hard here in Canada. This is according to a new report from the CRTC. Today on the show, Laura Tribe, she's the executive director of digital rights advocacy group Open Media. She discusses how the country's expensive communication services are becoming increasingly burdensome for some Canadians trying to access these basic services. We spoke to Laura on Friday. She shares her thoughts in just a moment. A range of innovative disruptive technology has emerged to provide financial services and systems that conduct transactions and aim for greater efficiency. Join us September 13th for BIV's FinTech panel, where we're going to focus on helping small and medium-sized businesses make informed decisions in this new landscape. For more information on this and our other events here at BIV, go to BIV.com events. CRTC has just released a snapshot of a new report coming out detailing how we use services like internet and mobile and how much we spend using them. Joining us today to discuss the results from the communications monitoring report, it is Laura Tribe, Executive Director of Open Media. It's a digital advocacy group based right here in Vancouver. Laura, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. We finally got you in the studio. The first time. Yeah, nice. we're, not, we're not using uh, mobile services to reach you. <laughs> they cut uh, out too often. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and frankly, they rack up some bills for us. Um, we're spending a lot. We are spending a lot. We are spending a lot. Uh, the report that came out One yesterday- One might say too much. I definitely say too much, and I right. don't think I'm alone in that. No. Uh, but I also think that it wasn't much of a surprise yesterday to see the CRTC's report. Uh, anecdotally, we hear it at Open Media every day that people are paying too much for their cell phone bills. And I think it's frustrating when the numbers just come out and confirm what we've been saying for a decade. Uh, but we did see some numbers yesterday that actually highlighted just how bad it is for some people. And these are numbers from 2016. Were there any surprises in there? Um, I think the biggest surprise for us and what really struck home with us was that people in the lowest income quintile, so people who are making under $39,000 a year, are paying 8% of their annual income for communication services. Mm. So what we're also hearing from this group is that they can't afford all the services. It's not like they're using their full television package, home internet, cell phone, and a landline. They're already having to pick and choose between these services, and it's still taking up to 8% of their income. Because as far as I understand, housing is a slightly expensive feature in this community. Um, I've heard stories. Yeah, Yeah. I've heard stories, yeah. I mean, here in Vancouver, we've heard on and on about affordable housing and how if it is affordable, which I think we can safely say that in Vancouver, it's not, uh, housing should take up to maximum of 30% mm-hmm. of your annual income. Well, if your rent's taking up to 30%, which we know it's over that in Vancouver, and your cell phone bills and your internet are taking up to another 8 or 9% of that, that's almost half your income. Is there, a, is there an international standard where people look at, at what is affordable telecom? Is it is it three percent, five percent? What what is it? What is it? Is there anything like that? I'd have to look at the numbers to figure out if there's actually one standard. But I think that when we're looking at what that costs in Canada, a lot of flags get thrown up. It's like, well, it's affordable there because, and then excuses are made for it, uh, as opposed to realistically, what should people actually be spending? And we've just seen time and time again, it's it's way too expensive in Canada. I mean, we're looking at the average household spending 90 something dollars a month on just cell phone services alone, uh, over $220 a month on communication services. 
And that includes people in the lowest income bracket who are picking and choosing. That includes, you know, elderly uh, people who are spending money only on a landline and TV potentially. So it's regressive. And so it's pretty bad. Yeah. But the CRTC, they did say to the you know big telecom companies, uh, go forth, figure out some affordable plans uh, for, say, data only on wireless. What were the results that we came away with a couple months back, Laura? So we're still waiting to hear what the final plans will be. Uh, but what we did get proposed by the telecom companies was things like 25 or $30 a month for just data for about 300 to 400 megabytes of data, uh, which is... Negligible. Uh, you know, I, most I couldn't cell phone plans even are a couple do of gigs. an album uh, if I was just streaming it right off my cell phone. Data I think I get a sp- one sports highlight. Yeah, one sports highlight. I'm <laughs> pick your favorite because you only get one for the month, and you can't make any calls after that. Yeah, okay. and so it's we've seen plans even since then that have come out in promotions that are things like get an extra ten gigabytes a month for twenty bucks, um, and things that just really show how disproportionate that is. And when those plans are supposed to be put forward for people who need more affordable options. They're supposed to be aiming towards the lower income brackets. You can see how clearly they're being targeted in some ways and mm-hmm. exploited just to get basic services. And this is something that is a basic service. The CRTC has actually said this is something that people need. And it's so out of reach in so many cases. Do, do we get a sense that the new chair of CRTC wants to have more affordability, though, are, are we getting a sense that this is going to be a priority here for, you know, the, I guess the future direction of CRTC? It's a bit of a tough call. Um, I think the results of the proceeding around what an affordable plan is will give us a really good indication of that. But I think what we've seen big picture is that it's not a priority. Uh, the reason that these plans are being discussed at all is because the government had to force the CRTC to examine them. So originally the CRTC wasn't looking at this at all. And only because they rejected the government's suggestion are they now looking at alternatives, but they're so narrow in scope compared to what they could be doing. They could be finding ways to bring in alternative providers, bring in more competition and choice, which we know brings down cell phone prices. Uh, but we're just not seeing that happen. Look, we're we're far enough into this now. We're we're about twenty years into um, having uh, data as part of our uh, our phones. Um, are we getting closer to then generating something akin to national programs, where we're dealing particularly with those who are living close to poverty line, where these are these are not frills; these are essentials in the way that hydro and water are essentials in particular parts. Are we getting any closer to to developing policy that would say everybody has a kind of a right to a certain basic for a certain amount? So we saw a lot of progress on that from the CRTC in 2016 when they announced that the internet is a basic service uh, and they categorized it as broadband, which does include high-speed cell phone connections. So things like data on your phone would count. Um, having some kind of access. But what's missing is the plan from the government to make that actually happen, to guarantee that everyone has that. So we've seen kind of piecemeal approaches. Um, ISED announced a a big reveal this summer uh, that was like, isn't it great? We're going to be providing access to low-income communities in partnership with all of these telecoms. But the requirements were really narrow in scope. So to be low-income meant that you had to be meeting all of the requirements for the family subsidy the family child care subsidy. So for example, if you don't have children, you don't count. Um, if you don't meet all of the qualifications, but only some of them, you no longer qualify for this 
discounted program from the big telecom companies, uh, which is, you know, not to discredit the fact that a lot of people need that and that it does a lot of good for those families that are accessing it. But when we're actually looking at making this a basic service, you can't pick and choose who gets access or who qualifies. You need to make sure that everyone has the ability to connect. Right. But I I mean, I think people would have less um, tolerance or or for those that say I want to watch Netflix all day on a phone. I, I, I get that that's probably a, a luxury. What do you think is the baseline then about what, what a, a Canadian ought to have uh, accessible for a very reasonable amount of money? Yeah, I mean, I think we hear Netflix thrown up as this yeah, yeah, yeah. frivolity that people use their cell phones or their computers for because it takes up a lot of traffic. But that's what people do with their spare time. And, you know, we're increasingly seeing things like telehealth being relied on. We're seeing education funding cut because there's this expectation that people can do things like online access to courses um, and to resources. And so, you know, it's hard to set a basic standard for what people need. But I think when we're looking at the average data use in general, um, it's it's not up to me to pick and choose what is critical uh, for people. But right now, we're seeing in Canada that people are using significantly less data in general than the U.S. because the costs are so high. So we're already limiting the amount of data that we're using compared to people in other countries. Mm. Uh, when it comes to what a basic service is or what that requirement would be, we've put forward a few different suggestions. Uh, one would be that we put forward a few years ago was a $25 a month package for home internet uh, that would get you, you know, reasonable speeds um, that would meet the basic service requirement and have something like a couple hundred gigabytes of data for your home internet to make sure that your kids can do their homework, that they can download all of the resources that they need, that if you need to access a doctor uh, online or look up directions to things, you have the ability to do all of that. Um, But I think that one of the problems that we've seen so much in, in the way that these plans are trying to be put forward and picking who needs them and what they need for it is that the telecom companies then try and offer these really narrow offerings saying, okay, well, we'll give you this much, this little box, and you need to fit inside of it. And that should be good enough for you because you're lucky to even have this. And if we're actually treating it as a basic service, the internet is a basic service, not access to one particular part of the internet, but the ability to access information and communicate freely has been deemed a basic service. And so part of that communication, part of that absorbing content, including Netflix, is part of the basic service offering in the same way that when we talk about home phone and how that was originally deemed a basic service. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't who you called and for how long you could talk I'm to old, your grandmother all day, every day. And that still counted because yeah. that's part of what you need yeah. in your life and your own development. So. No, I, I mean, I'm, I remember a lot of those uh, tense fights at a regulatory level around things like rebalancing long distance and local telephone rates. I mean, when I was a kid, long distance was an yeah. impossibility in our circumstances. Now, now people don't even think of the idea of calling anywhere in Canada and essentially it feels like it's all the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, how often do you make phone calls, you know, just like on average compared with say text messaging, using Wi-Fi, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. You know, oh, yeah. it's yeah. just a complete like cultural shift that's happened in such a rapid period of time as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, long distance calling is not really something people think twice about, even on their cell phones. Yeah. And even once we had unlimited long distance calling at home, it took a while for cell phones to catch up. They're like, okay, but don't call from your phone. That would yeah, be really sensitive. Right, yeah. Go home and do it there. That's right. Yeah. And now that's, I think, what we're seeing with these data only plans is really trying to acknowledge, well, 
maybe people are talking in different ways. Maybe they are using data. Maybe they're using video chat because it's a great way to connect. Um, but but you do don't see you, you see a, a lack of alignment between what people's behavior is and where the telcos have gone and where the regulatory agency is trying to direct them and for that matter, the federal government, that essentially there's a lag here still. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the big push that we've seen from the regulator, they were asked to reconsider what are called MVNOs, um, mobile virtual network operators, essentially other providers that could come into the market and instead of building the infrastructure themselves can pay fair wholesale rates to the guys that own the cell phone towers and provide different types of services. The intention behind that wasn't just to bring in more competition. It was to bring in different types of plans and packaging. Uh, you get more innovative plans and packages when different companies are trying to provide different services. They're not trying to compete on the exact same offerings as, say, Bell, Telus, or Rogers are. Uh, but the CRTC said no. That wasn't the way to bring in affordability. And so what they came up with is this really narrow plan that said, okay, what's the minimum package you can offer? And that wasn't the point. The point wasn't that we needed a minimum offering with the least amount of data for the least amount of money. It was that we need data in general. And so even if those plans come in at something that's reasonable, at a really low rate for a reasonable amount of data, what happens when you go over that? What happens when you need more? What happens if because all of a sudden you don't have a cell phone number on these plans, which is the way they've been put forward, you only have essentially the same things you get on Wi-Fi, you need to make an emergency call. Yeah. And all of a sudden, those plans don't exist. So it's not looking at the big picture. It's this really one narrow, specific like solution they're trying to put forward that doesn't actually ask, well, what do people want and yeah. why? And what is the problem they're trying to solve? Yeah, I think some cynics would look at this almost as like the food stamp system. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like once you're out of food stamps, you're out of food. Yeah. And, and sorry, you can't get any more. And also, when you do go to a store to buy food like everyone else, it's going to cost 10 times what it would normally as a penalty. Yeah. Uh, because I think that's what we see with our data overages is that that's where they're making all their money. Like our telecom companies have the highest revenues in the world. <laughs> and there's reports that came out recently that said that per user, they're making the most money. They have the largest revenue per user um, compared to their competitors globally. And we're getting but the they'll, least they'll, for it. But they'll also say, I mean, to be fair, they'll say that the costs of strapping this country together are actually gigantic compared to other countries. But the, that the scale that we have here does not afford us the American system. It doesn't afford us the European networks that are geographically so bound together. And, and to your earlier point, there are excuses why other places seem to be mm -hmm. uh, much more affordable than Canadian ones. Canada's big. Uh, but most of Canada lives across the border. That's actually a really small section of Canada. And even those areas are not being fully served in the way that they should, whether it comes to cell phones or home internet, yeah. um, in addition to building out to those And those that are proximate to the U.S. border, yeah. 90% uh, of us or whatever, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as opposed to the Arctic border, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. along yeah. that bottom of the country <laughs> yeah. there, yeah. Uh, or that high population line. Border of Alaska, yeah. That's and right. yeah. I don't know, climate change, we're all going to be moving up there soon. But um, I think, you know, that's one aspect of it. But when we look at the report that came out from the CRTC yesterday, most people have the ability to access those services now. Um, those services exist. The infrastructure is there in a lot of places. Um, and the prices haven't come down. And on the flip side of it, despite those high prices, there are a ton of areas that are not being invested in until the government subsidizes it. And so we have this system where our telecom companies have become so reliant on this government subsidy that 
there's no incentive for them to invest on their own. The system right now lets them charge those prices. It lets them say that, and they're not building out the infrastructure at the rate that they claim to want to or claim that they should be doing. And I think when we have more competition, when we have more providers, they can split it up. They can divide and conquer, or there's incentive to get there first. And I think that's really the thing that's missing is there is no incentive for them to invest. We have had competition come in, and they've all been bought out by large media companies. Uh, We've also seen the government put the kibosh on, say, Sugar Mobile. You mentioned the MVNOs as well. So what solutions are there? Is it just going to have to be some sort of government mandate to make it more affordable? Is that really the only option that we have left at this point? Well, we've seen even with Freedom Mobile in the past few months, uh, as Shaw has put Freedom Forward as a fourth competitor, that we've seen the telecom results last month come out and say, oh, actually, the competition's working. Um, Prices have come down a little bit. uh, But we've also seen that the revenues have been a bit more distributed. And they're all saying, oh, it's because of Freedom. Uh, They're scared to their shareholders. That's what they're saying. But from our side, it's going, okay, so we've seen that when there's more people in the market, it does actually distribute some of that um, sort of revenues across multiple companies. And we're seeing a lot of investment from Freedom. So more of that. Uh, When it comes to more competition and more choice, it is going to be the government at this point. Uh, The CRTC has said they will eventually review wholesale access, but that's going to be a process that's going to take a bunch of years. Uh, They're not going to start until next year. Uh, But in the meantime, the government has the ability to say not just that we need to address affordability, but the root cause of it is that there aren't enough options. And that's the thing that they could do to actually mandate access at a fair rate for wholesale to let other providers into the market. I want to ask you a, a political advocacy question, because I mean, I've grown mm-hmm. despondent over the years uh, that Canadians don't get really upset with their lack of access to information, you know, government records, yeah. and so much stays classified and in the vaults. And, and But people don't march in the street about this. They don't recognize what they don't have in a particular way. And yet I look at the identity politics that uh, has accompanied Justin Trudeau to office. The fact that we're going to have legalized cannabis in a matter of time, uh, that that people were promised things like proportional representation in order to get to that millennial and that younger demo that uh, that seemed to have a different style of political activism that it wanted in the years to come. Why aren't people marching in the street? Why is, why, why is there not the sense of uh, the same advocacy for cellular and and other data uh, accessibility that maybe other issues somehow command, like like cannabis, for goodness sake. You know, I don't know that I would fully agree with that, um, only because every time that I talk to a politician, they go, okay, the first thing we hear about if they're in Ontario is Ontario Hydro. The second thing they hear about, no matter where they are, is cell phone prices. And they may be saying that to me because I'm me, but I think that it's something that resonates with everyone. I think the not marching in the street is actually a bigger issue than just this issue. I think that we don't see people marching in the streets on nearly as many issues as they should be in Canada. But there's an interesting passivity about all of this. Yeah. Uh, because it, it is now down. I think we're into crunch time around all of it. Yeah. Where, where now we have this flight of services that are accessible uh, if you have the data plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously a lot of people not being able to afford it. And I think you're starting to get, you know, you know the rubbers hit the road yeah. to, to keep mixing my metaphors here. But it, so why not, why is there not like a big political movement to say this has to be a national priority? 
I'm working on it. Is the short answer? Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, but I think that the prime minister the Laura Tribe. Is, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, absolutely not that. That yeah, is not right, the goal. Right. Um, no, I'm working on building the big political movement. Um, but I think that you know what we see is people are frustrated, but it also feels like it's always been this way. Like, do you ever remember when your cell phone bills were affordable? Do you ever remember when your internet was affordable? And so, as opposed to some of the issues that come up that you know, seem like hot button issues because change is afoot. This one's a little bit harder because it's hard for people to imagine it some other way because it's always been no, this way. Until you travel abroad. And that's when people get mad. Uh, or when people show up and try and buy a SIM card in Canada and are all of a sudden going, what happened here? Um, but it takes those inflection points of someone realizing it. You know, the story that came out, I think, last month about how people are keeping French SIM cards to try and get cheaper cell phone service in Canada and watching people go, can I do that? Can I get that? How do I get that? Those are the things that help people realize that there's a better option. But I think, you know, it's people figuring out how they fit and how they can actually change things and and what change looks like. And I think when it comes to things like stopping a pipeline, people can see it. They see the tangible action of it's going to go through or it's not, uh, but they know exactly what they're facing. Uh, when it comes to something like taking on major corporations to change a billing structure uh, or you know, taking on an economic structure around telecommunications that has been built on these three major companies and trying to bring in other choices, it, it feels harder for people to see what's happening. Uh, but I think at the same time, it's sort of that that issue that hits home with everyone. And I think that we've seen it. We, we've released a tool recently that lets people call Minister Bain's office mm. and say, this is the guy that can do it. What do you want to do? And we've seen hundreds of people call. Mm. And that's a really high barrier ask for someone to call a federal minister and say, please lower my cell phone bill. And yet people are willing to do it. Because I don't think U.S. politicians get the same amount of grief. They're, you know, they're, there's a lot more going on there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They agree on other things, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Laura, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining <laughs> us on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. That's Laura Tribe, Executive Director of Open Media. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave nice reviews if you can. And be sure to find our stories in print and online at BIV.com. We'll see you next time.